You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Well, welcome to Redemption Church again. We're going to be looking uh, in the Gospel of Mark again today. We're in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 uh, to 52. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Last week, we joined Jesus and his disciples uh, along the Jordan Valley, where we've seen Jesus share for the third and the final time his coming passion for the sins uh, of the world. Last week, he clearly revealed to his disciples that he was going to Jerusalem and that he's going to go there and he's going to be rejected by men. He's going to be judged by his very own people. He's going to be condemned to death. He's going to be delivered over to the world. They're going to mock him. They're going to torture him. They're going to beat him. And ultimately, they're going to kill him. But three days later, he's going to rise. Now, next week, we're going to see Jesus triumphantly enter the city of Jerusalem. I can't believe we're already there. He's going to enter the gates and crowds are going to praise him. They're going to shout to him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. That's next week. But as this last week of his life is going to unfold and as his ministry comes to a close, we're also going to see crowds shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. And then he'll be beaten. And then he'll be nailed to a cross for our sin to die for you and to die for me, to die for the sins of all of those who would believe in his blood and his sacrifice. Last week, we learned that that following Jesus to this cross is going to be difficult, right? That discipleship is an upward battle. It's it's not easy. It's not for the lighthearted. And we need courage. We need humility. Most of all, last week, we learned that we need self-sacrifice. We learned that whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus was preparing his men, and he's still preparing us today for the hard road ahead of picking up our crosses and following him. Now today, as we look at verses 46 to 52 in chapter 10, as Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem, we're going to witness the very last healing, the very last healing recorded by Mark in his gospel We're going to see Jesus again compassionately and powerfully heal a blind beggar of his blindness. Now before we think to ourselves, okay, this is just another healing story. We've heard all of this before. He's already healed blind people. He's already healed the deaf. What more can we learn? We always have to remember that these healing accounts, these miraculous healing accounts in Scripture, are not only just to teach about power and compassion of Christ. They teach so much more. They're written down right for our training in righteousness so that we would be equipped and ready for what? For every good work to be used by God. And so as we look at the timing and the place, as we look at the intimacy of this healing, and as we see the ultimate outcome of this healing, We see a greater story being told here. 
Jesus uses words to teach, but he also uses object lessons. And as we look at this healing, we see that there is a bigger story being told. And Jesus is going to use this healing of, of this man to drive his truth home about discipleship. It's really a summary lesson for all of his teaching of discipleship up to this point. The story of Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, is a living parable for what a model disciple looks like. As rich young rulers, as the crowds, as the religious elite, and even his disciples fail to clearly see Jesus with two eyes, this blind beggar sees Jesus more clearly with no eyes. So as we do, uh, as we pursue this this morning, let's go to God's word. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to Jesus, said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's go, let's go to prayer. We need the Lord's help here this morning. Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, our God, we need you this morning. We need you to teach us. Lord, we desire to be disciples. We desire to be Christ followers. And Lord, we thank you that your word has clearly revealed to us over and over again in this gospel of Mark what it means to follow you, that the way is going to be hard, but by your spirit and by your word, we can follow you. And We thank you for that because we know that like this blind man on the side of a road, we are not able. We need our eyes opened. So Lord, as your word is opened before us, open the eyes of our hearts so that we can understand it. Pray that you would use it to transform us, that we would behold the glory of Jesus Christ and be changed. As we pursue to be disciples, Lord, help us to remember what we don't bring and help us to remember what you bring. You are a good and gracious God, and we thank you for this example of Bartimaeus to learn from this morning. Use it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you really want to follow Jesus, you need to see Jesus. 
If you want to really see Jesus, you need to see yourself in, in light of who he is. We need to see our need. We need our eyes to be open to our own condition. And so as we approach this text and we see this blind man on the side of the road, Bartimaeus, we see that as we're pursuing to be disciples, the story of him is really showing us what a model disciple looks like. And so as we need to first see our condition, we need to be desperate seekers. We need to be desperate seekers. Will we stop at nothing? Verse 46. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then this big crowd that was with him began to rebuke him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, a model disciple is first a desperate seeker. Will you stop at nothing to get to Jesus Christ? Well, last week we learned that Jesus and his disciples were, were in the valley of Jericho, or in the valley of the Jordan, close to Jericho. And now we see them in this text coming to Jericho and then leaving Jericho. Now, the ancient city of Jericho at that time is one of the oldest uh, inhabited places on earth. It has tons of biblical history. I think we have a map there uh, behind me. At the, at the time of Christ, it was a bustling, busy city. It was, it was very much a tropical city. All kinds of aqueducts bringing uh, spring water and, and watering the land. It was very, very lush. And it was situated on a really a major trade route between Damascus and Arabia and Jerusalem. Now, all kinds of people lived in Jericho, and all kinds of people were passing through Jericho. In fact, Jericho was the last major stop that you would take before going up to Jerusalem. If you remember last week, we talked about the height difference uh, between uh, Jericho and Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho is 3,500 feet higher, or sorry, Jerusalem is 3,500 feet higher than uh, Jericho. And so it's, it's a, a long, hard descent. And so you would stop here to get rest. And so we see Jesus and his disciples and this big crowd. Remember that crowd was made up of people that were following, but also people going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. But people would stop and they would rest. And so we see that. They came and then they went. And then as they're going, verse 46 says, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So at these times as well, blindness was a major issue. It was a lot more common back then than it even is today. They didn't have our modern healthcare system. They didn't have medication that could prevent some blindness. People would become blind through birth defects, disease, or injuries. And they couldn't be cured with the science they had at that time. And so if you were blind, especially back then, you would be extremely limited to what you could do. How you could care for yourself. 
How could you provide for yourself? As jobs may have been scarce, nobody was going to hire a blind man. And on top of that, there was no social programs to care for these men, care for these people. A blind person would have been regarded as an outsider, as those who are unclean. This Bartimaeus would have been severely impoverished, maybe even mocked, even hated at times. He was marginalized. And so as a blind person, you would sit yourself on the side of the road and you would have to depend on the mercy of others. And you would have to place yourself along the path where people are walking so that you could beg for the bare necessities of life. That might remind you of when you're driving around our city and you get to an intersection and there's that person begging for money standing on the boulevard, putting themselves in the place of traffic so that you could extend mercy to them. Now this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, was desperate. He was in a desperate state. And he would have been one of many. In fact, when you look at Luke's gospel, you see that there was actually two of them. But Mark highlights Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus would have been despised. He would have been forgotten. Blind beggars uh, were, they weren't decent citizens to society. And many people wouldn't even know their, their name. But as Mark writes his account of this blind man's healing, we see that his name is mentioned. In fact, what's really interesting about this blind man is that he's the only person in all of the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who is healed, who is actually mentioned by name. We've seen a demoniac healed, we've seen a bleeding woman healed, a mute man healed, and we've even seen another blind man healed, but none of their names are explicitly mentioned in the scriptures. Yet, Bartimaeus is named. Mark records it. Remember, Mark is recording Peter's firsthand recollection of all of this. And the scriptures say that his name is Bartimaeus. It just simply means son of Timaeus. Mark is writing this to a Roman audience, and so it seems that he's explaining this. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. And what we know is that it's a Jewish name. It has Hebrew roots. But other than that, it's just a name. Son of Timaeus. And although he's never mentioned again in Scripture, the fact that he is named may allude to that he may be named later. People might know of this Bartimaeus, and this is the story of his healing. But what we need to know is that the Holy Spirit wants us to know his name this morning. As the Holy Spirit wrote the Scriptures through men, his name was recorded so that we can know it and we can remember so Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, he's sitting by the roadside. And when he heard, I wonder what he heard. It says, when he heard, so I'm imagining that he's just hearing this crowd, or else he's hearing Jesus teaching, or he's hearing something. When he hears that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He heard that it was this, this Jesus of Nazareth. 
But then he calls him the son of David. Now, if you remember back to the beginning of this series, as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark, Nazareth is the place where Jesus grew up, right? Remember, it was a dead-end town. It was really nothing. In fact, in John's Gospel, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was, was, was a nowhere place. It wasn't a destination. But as Jesus grew up there, and then he left there as a man... And as he ministered throughout all of Galilee, his fame would go before him as this Jesus of Nazareth. And it got to the place where the whole nation at that time knew of his name. They knew of this Jesus of Nazareth. They knew that he was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was multiplying food. He was raising the dead. And for Bartimaeus, what he would hold on to is that he heard that Jesus could heal the blind. And Bartimaeus was, was blind. And he was poor. So what's interesting here is that, yes, he, he knows this Jesus is this miracle worker from Nazareth, and he wants to ask him for mercy, but more than that, he says he's Jesus, the son of David. You see, yes, Bartimaeus was blind. Yes, he was poor, and yes, he desperately wanted to be healed, but what we see here is that he's looking to Jesus for more than just a healer. One commentator says, what he lacks in eyesight, he makes up for in insight. He was Jewish. Because of his Jewish faith and, and what he knew about what was read to him through the scriptures, he knew that there was a promised Messiah coming. And he knew that this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, could be that Messiah, right? If you remember back all the way in the Old Testament to David's life, you'll remember that God didn't allow David to build the temple, right? He was going to build it through his son. He said to David in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 13, he said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, David, I will raise up for you offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now we know that the Lord is, is speaking about Solomon in this immediate sense, this immediate context, that he would build the temple, he would rule, he would establish a kingdom, but in a greater sense, he's talking about this forever kingdom, the eternal kingdom, one that would come from David, a son of David. The prophet Isaiah gave us more information later in Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is forever. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. It's an eternal kingdom. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is promise, progressive revelation of a Messiah that is to come who will rule over the kingdom of heaven forever. And so this blind man, 
This poor man on the side of the street is making connections, making connections to this, this man from Nazareth, this miracle worker, and this eternal promised son of David, the Messiah. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then we hear the crowds. And the crowds try to shut him up. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. The crowd believed he was unworthy to speak, unworthy to ask. He's unworthy to call Jesus the son of David. And so they want to silence him. He's just a blind beggar. What are you doing talking? He's unworthy. But what does he do? What does he do with the crowd pressing against him? It says in verse um, 48, he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. I don't care what the crowd is saying. I don't care what they're trying to do. Son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't stop at anything to get the attention of Jesus Christ. He didn't allow his disability to stop him, his status, or the world to get between him and Jesus. He hears the crowd. He hears the Savior's feet walking. He knows that he's the son of David, and he's within hearing distance. And so he cries out with all he's got. He stops at nothing because he's a desperate seeker. He's aware of his desperate condition, and he knows that there's only one who can help him. As we think about that, need to ask ourselves, are we aware of our desperate state? Are we aware of our desperate condition? We've been asking ourselves this recently in the scriptures, but it keeps coming up. We need to be aware of who we are in light of Jesus and who we are without him. And then understanding our desperation, letting that drive us to be to this unstoppable pursuit of who he is. And so as he's a desperate seeker, ask yourself, am I a desperate seeker? The beginning of knowing Jesus is knowing your desperate state apart from him. Each one of us, before we met Jesus, are just like this blind man. We're blind to the truth. We're poor. We're needy apart from Jesus Christ. We, we have no hope. We're outsiders. We're unclean. We're unable to change anything within our spiritual condition. Now, if you remember back also to a couple weeks ago, we've seen a rich young ruler enter the scene, right? And you'll remember that he was also a seeker of Jesus. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? It seemed he was desiring to know the way. It even seemed that he was a good moral person. But in the end, Jesus pointed out that he wasn't desperate enough. And this young man, if you remember, he gave it all up. He gave up following Jesus. He gave up his salvation to, to hold on to his wealth, to hold on to stuff. He wanted significance. He was trusting in his own self-sufficiency. He was still blind 
to his true spiritual condition. He wasn't a desperate seeker. But this poor, this poor blind beggar Bartimaeus knows his true condition. He knows he brings nothing. He knows he has nothing. And he is desperate in every way. And he knows that as Jesus approaches him, Jesus is the only one who can help him. And so ask yourself, when it comes to desperation, have you got there yet? Have you come to the end of yourself yet? Friends, I'm convinced there are people in pews, in churches around the world who are more like the rich man than they are the poor man. They come to church, they call themselves Christians, they look the part, they look like they have it all together, they're doing moral things, but what they don't understand is that they're still blind. They haven't come to understand their real depravity. They've never really become aware of their desperate state apart from Jesus. They think they're on the road where, in fact, they're actually in the ditch. Jesus already said in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician. But those who are sick, right? We bring nothing. So as we look at Bartimaeus here and we see his need, his desperation, we see that he knows his sickness and he knows apart from Jesus there is no hope, but he has hope that this Jesus, this son of David, this miracle worker from Nazareth can heal him. He can open his eyes. And so he cries out for all that he's worth and he cries out above the, the oppressing crowd. But then how does Jesus respond? Doesn't Jesus have a lot of important things to be doing? Right? He's got a lot on the go. He's heading up to Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. There's so much to do, so much to say before he goes to the cross, but yet he hears these cries of mercy. These cries for mercy. He hears Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What does he do? Verse 49. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped walking. He stopped his journey. And he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Verse 50, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. A model disciple is a desperate seeker, but we see here also a model disciple is an urgent responder. He's a desperate seeker. And he's an urgent responder at the call of Jesus. Will we jump at Jesus' call? At the cries of this blind beggar, Jesus stops in his tracks. When you look at the original Greek, it says, he stood still. He didn't move. It stopped him in his tracks and he stood Still, friends, if you want to get the attention of God, acknowledge your desperate condition before him, push beyond the crowds, turn away from the world, and cry out to him for mercy. He will stop, and he will listen to you. He will hear you. 
you will catch his ear. You will get his attention if you cry out for mercy to the son of David. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit, desperation. The cries of those or the shouts of those who are coming to Christ and think that, think that they're bringing something, think that they're bringing some kind of significance, that's not the cries that Jesus hears. He hears the cries of those who are desperate, those who are brokenhearted, those who are crushed in spirit, those who have no hope, and those who are looking to him as their only hope. He stops in his tracks for a desperate seeker. He doesn't ignore him. He doesn't treat him like he's a problem. He doesn't command him to be quiet. Even though he's, he's yelling all of this son of David stuff, you know, up to this point, Jesus was, was silencing people that he would heal, right? He would often tell them not to tell anybody about who I am. This blind beggar is crying out, son of David. The reason that he allowed him to cry that out is because now it is Jesus' time. It is the time for who he is to be known to the nations. The truth that this man is declaring is now welcome to his ears, and Jesus wants it to be going forth because he's about to walk into Jerusalem, and he's going to the cross. In a matter of, of hours, he's going to be entering the gates of Jerusalem. Again, being praised as the son of David, right? It's no longer time to conceal this news. It's time to reveal it. And so in response to this blind man's cries, Jesus gets his disciples to do something. He asks them to call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. On a side note, what I love about this is how Jesus doesn't call him himself. Jesus gets his disciples to call him. He's getting his disciples to be the ones who share the good news. He's preparing them for the days ahead that, yes, Jesus calls, but he calls through his people. He calls through his disciples. That he wants this blind beggar to get up and to follow him, but he wants his disciples to do that work. That's also our call, as we're called to go and make disciples of all nations. That's a command. Jesus does that through us. He's always preparing his disciples. And no sooner do the words come out of their mouth, take heart, get up, he is calling you. What do we see in verse 50? Verse 50, this blind beggar sitting on the side of the street poor, destitute, would probably sit there all day. He throws off his cloak and he springs up, jumps up, and he came to Jesus. There's no hesitation here. There's no delay. There's no second guessing. He urgently responds with zeal to the voice of Jesus. It says he throws off his outer cloak Back then you would wear an outer cloak and then you would have an undercloak, which is kind of like your undershirt. 
And he'd probably be sitting on the ground with this cloak wrapped around him. And as he hears the call of Jesus, he throws off that cloak, leaps from the ground with joy towards Christ. And as fast as he could, with his blind faith, he runs to the call of Christ, this son of David. When I worked in oil and gas for, for many years, I'd often be gone uh, for long periods of time um, from my family when my boys were little. Kim would be home looking after them. I'd be in camp or in school. Uh, but when I would come home, maybe on a Friday night late after work, no matter what they were doing, no matter what was going on, if I would call out from the door that I'm home, my boys would come running. They would leap for joy that their dad was home. They didn't hesitate. And this is so much greater in what we're seeing here in this blind man. It's so much greater when Jesus calls us to himself. When Jesus calls us to his very presence, how much more do we need to leap for joy to him? How much more do we got to be throwing off whatever is binding us, whatever is slowing us down, so that we can run to the very presence of Jesus Christ, running to his arms, running to his grace? Why wouldn't we urgently respond to the very king of the universe? You know, in the old hymn, Softly and Tenderly, anybody know that old hymn? Softly and Tenderly. And tenderly, Jesus is calling a couple lines in there, say, why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? Are we jumping at his call? Are we leaping at the voice of Jesus Christ? Or are we tarrying? Are we lingering? Are we waiting? Or are we even going the other direction? Are you hearing Jesus Christ, but you are holding back from leaping at his call? When Jesus calls us, the only option is to respond with urgency. It's the only way. In fact, if you're in this room right now, and you're an unbeliever, in this room right now, as I preach and as we share the truth of the gospel with one another, Jesus is calling you. If you're an unbeliever in this place and you've been around our family, Jesus is calling you through us, just like what we're seeing here in the scriptures. And the only option is to respond with the same urgency we're seeing in Bartimaeus, throwing off all that's binding you, leaping to your feet, running to Jesus. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. That's the message. Take heart. There is hope in Jesus Christ. Your heart is low. It is hopeless. It is desperate. But take heart. Get up. He is calling you. As the disciples shared that message, and as we hear that message this morning, as we hear Jesus calling us through each other, we need to take heart and we need to get up 
and we need to follow him. Get up out of your despair. Get up out of your sin. Throw off whatever it is that's binding you from coming to him. Run to Jesus Christ. Urgently respond to his call. Friends, we need to be urgent about this because we don't know what tomorrow brings, right? We don't know. We don't even know if we're going to make it home from this theater today. That's how urgent this is. Eternity is in the balance. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're being called right now. And if you do not follow, you are rejecting the call of the king. And you're gambling with your life. But he is so full of love and grace and mercy to call you and to love you. Come home. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Behold, now, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It can't wait. It can't wait. It's urgent. So maybe you've never really understood your desperate condition. Take heart and get up and go to Jesus. He's calling you. Maybe you're here and you've been brought up in a different kind of a faith Maybe it's something that's binding you from truly following him. Throw that off. Maybe you're wrapped up in sin right now. You're so blinded by what is, uh, what's entrancing your eyes that you can't even see Jesus. Cry out to mercy. Throw off that which is keeping you from following him. Repent, trust, follow him. And get on your feet. Plead for mercy. Maybe you think that you'll do that. Okay, I'm going to do that next week. I got some stuff this week that I want to be a part of. I'll do that later. Maybe I'll do that in a couple years. Right now, I, I, I want to try a, a lot of things in this world. This, this Jesus stuff is just going to keep me from having fun. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. Throw off. Throw off, repent, and follow Jesus Christ. Don't gamble with your life. Repent and seek his mercy. So we see this blind beggar. We see him responding with the greatest urgency. Why? Because he had such a great need. But more than that, he sees he has an even greater Savior. As this blind man comes to Jesus, verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So as Bartimaeus is, is this model disciple for us to be looking at today, we see here that he's a humble believer. And we need to ask ourselves, will we receive by faith like Bartimaeus? Just imagine being Bartimaeus. Just imagine being this blind man, living your day to day on the street. Every day you get up wondering if I'll just get enough money so that I can eat. Every day you know that others can see the colors of the sky. They can see the smiles on the faces of their family, but you are just in darkness. You are poor and destitute. You have no hope. You are on the street. You don't know the beauty of the whole universe around you because you can't see it. All you have is darkness, and you have no cure. But then you hear these stories. 
you hear these stories about this man from Nazareth. This man that is casting out demons. This man that is opening deaf ears. This man that is, is, is opening mute mouths. And he's also opening blind eyes. Who is this man? And then you turn and you remember the prophecies. You remember what you've been told. You remember from Isaiah 35 that the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. That's the gospel. You can have hope. Hope that this Messiah, this man from Nazareth, this son of David, can come to you. And you start to believe, if I could only get to Jesus. And then one day he comes. And you hear that he's near. And you cry out to him, Lord, have mercy on me. And what does he do? He stops in his tracks. He calls you to himself. And he asks you, what do you want me to do for you? And all you can think about is that prophecy that he is a coming king, and then you think that he's also a healer. You've heard this. And so by humble faith, you also ask him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Bartimaeus is believing in who Jesus is. He believes in his power. And all he wants is to be set free from his prison of blindness. He wants to see. If you remember James and John from last week, you'll remember that Jesus asked them this very same question. He asked them, what do you want me to do for you? It's the exact same question. What did they say? How did they respond? They didn't respond like the blind man. They responded with pride. They responded with selfishness. They were more worried about their position and privilege than what they really needed. In Mark 10, 37, last week, they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. The Zebedees aren't just satisfied with getting Jesus. They want to make sure that they have the best seats in the house. They want glory for themselves. But this humble blind man... He doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for power. He doesn't ask for success or glory. He merely asks to see. He says, Rabbi, teacher, let me recover my sight. His request is humble. He's a humble believer. And so Jesus rewards him for his humble faith. Verse 52. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Or in the NIV, if you have that, it says your faith has healed you. That word for healed or made well comes from the Greek word sozo. Sozo is more often translated saved, delivered. So as Jesus says, his faith has made him well, 
It speaks of both a physical reality and a spiritual reality. To be healed spiritually is to be saved, sozo, to be delivered from your former condition. And as this is the final healing recorded in the book of Mark, this final healing of blindness speaks of so much more than this physical healing. His faith has made him well, but it speaks so much greater that his faith has saved him. It speaks of salvation. His eyes were blind, but now he sees. When, when we are saved, we, are, we were spiritually blind, but our spiritual eyes get open to the truth and the glory of Jesus Christ, and we are saved. If you remember the Apostle Paul later, When he was radically saved on the road to Damascus, he was going to go and persecute Christians. But God stops him in his tracks. And through the process of speaking to him, Paul, Saul, is is blinded by God. And for three days he is blind until he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 9.18, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he rose and was baptized. You see, Paul, was, he, was, he was blind to the truth. And then God showed him how blind he was. He physically blinded him. He was both blind spiritually. Now God shows him by physically blinding him that he doesn't know the truth. He can't see the truth. Acts 26, 17 to 18. Paul recalls his salvation. He said that he was delivered from his people and he was sent now to the Gentiles to do what? To open their eyes. So that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There's this connection of blindness to salvation. Having your eyes opened is a picture of salvation. Your eyes of your heart seeing the truth and being changed by the truth. Every one of us was born spiritually blind. Each and every one of us who has ever existed was born spiritually blind. We can't see the truth. As much as you can imagine being born physically blind, your spiritual blindness is so much worse. Like the blind men, we were poor, we were destitute, we were without hope. And when it came to the road behind Jesus, we weren't on the road. We were in the ditch. But by his grace, but by his love, he comes to us and he calls us. He calls his disciples to himself. And by the supernatural power of God, we respond with urgency. It can't wait. We respond with urgency to come into the presence of Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. He opens our spiritual eyes to see Jesus for who he really is. To see the glory of salvation. That's healing. 
and the beauty of his face. So we ask ourselves, are we disciples of Jesus? Are our eyes open? Do we see his face on a regular basis, revealed through his word? Are we desperate seekers? Are we urgent responders? Are we humble believers? And then lastly, are we immediate followers? Will you go his way? Verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, if you remember, that's Mark's favorite word throughout the whole Gospel of Mark, immediately. Challenge you to go through the Gospel of Mark and, and look up immediately. He loves it, this word of urgency. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. As Jesus heals Bartimaeus so powerfully, so miraculously, so mercifully, and so instantaneously and completely, just think about that for a moment, about his healing, living in utter darkness his whole life, and then he sees light for the first time. He sees colors for the first time. He sees objects for the first time. He sees faces for the first time and they suddenly, perfectly appear to him. As he's been longing to see the world and see faces of his friends and family, can you just imagine his joy and his thankfulness as he opens his eyes and the very first face that he sees is Jesus Christ. The loving, compassionate face of his Savior. If you're a Christian this morning, if you've been born again, if you've been saved from utter darkness and sin, Colossians talks about it being the domain of darkness. This is our story. You were blind, but your eyes have been opened. You were in darkness, but now you're brought to the light. Now you can see. You can see Jesus clearly. You can see the Savior. You can see Jesus of Nazareth. You can see the Son of God. He has revealed himself to you through this book. The only way we can see the face of Christ is right here. That's how we see him. Open it up. See him every day. He loved us so much that he picked us up from that ditch of despair and he opened our eyes to the truth. As today is a day of thanks, how much more should we be thankful for Jesus Christ today? And how grateful are we for him? And how is that proven in our life? Is it seen in our day to day? Or do we just look like the rest of the world? Do people see us and say, that guy is thankful for God. He knows Jesus, and I can see it. It's different. Jesus tells Bartimaeus to go his way. His faith has made him well. You know, the supernatural faith given to him has made him well. Jesus has healed him. He can now see, and he has the ability to do whatever he wants now. And Jesus says, go your way. 
But what does the very last line say there? It says he followed him on his way. When we're saved by God, we're saved to the way. We're saved to his way. We don't have our own way anymore. Our own way is foolish. It is darkness. It is in the opposite direction of Jesus Christ. But when you're saved, you're saved to the way, the only way. It's his way. And what's beautiful here as we see is that his way, Jesus' way, becomes our way. As Jesus says to us, go your way, your way is Jesus' way. My way is Jesus' way. His way is my way. I've got no other way. Every other way is opposite to the will of God, and it is sin. His way becomes our way. So when it, becomes, when it comes to being a disciple, we're never just saved from something. We're always saved to something. When soldiers save or rescue civilians in war zones, or when policemen rescue hostages, their plan is never just to get to the victim and untie them and leave them there. Their plan is always to free them and to bring them out to safety, to bring them home. When you were saved, you weren't just saved to be saved. You were never meant to have your eyes opened just to return to the street, just to return to the corner, just to return to your sin. You were saved from sitting in that ditch so that you'll begin walking with Jesus. Faith that doesn't lead to discipleship is not saving faith. Whoever wants their eyes opened better have their feet ready. Because salvation is not stagnant. Salvation opens eyes and it moves feet. This blind man got that. He knew his desperate state. He stopped at nothing to cry out for mercy. He urgently responded to the call of Christ. He humbly received healing. But pay close attention here. He didn't just thank Jesus. He didn't just receive his healing and go his own way. God's way became his way. Because it's the only way. And he faithfully followed him on the way. That's a model disciple following Christ. A disciple is a Christ follower. You follow Christ. As a disciple, we're not spectators. We're participants. We don't just watch the game. We get on the field and we get about the business of Jesus. And so we ask ourselves, am I sitting on the sidelines? Am I just warming a seat? Think about your spiritual healing. Think about your salvation. Think about how thankful you need to be for what God has done. Jump out of that ditch, receive by faith, and follow Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. As the disciples were so close to the gates of Jerusalem, as the final week was, was unfolding of their, final, of their great Savior, Bartimaeus is a shining example of what it means to be a Christ follower. 
Will you stop at nothing? Are you jumping at his call? Are you responding with urgency? Will you go his way? A model disciple is a desperate seeker, an urgent responder, a humble believer, and an immediate follower. As we celebrate Thanksgiving today and this weekend, thank the Lord for Bartimaeus. What an example for us. We can be so entranced by all kinds of other things, but the greatest thing is following Jesus. So by his spirit, informed by his word, by his grace, get up, take heart, and follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Bartimaeus. Thank you for this man who was healed, the only man who was named in these Gospels who was healed by your grace. Lord, we thank you that you have shown him to us, and by seeing his healing, we're reminded of our own healing, and that it's not just about receiving, it's about following. So Lord, we thank you for constantly teaching us in the Gospel of Mark about discipleship, and as you move into Jerusalem in these coming days in the text, we say that we need to have our hearts prepared. The disciples need to have their hearts ready. And as we face a daunting, dark world around us as well, we need to be ready, ready to have our feet ready because there is so much work to get done for the kingdom. So much work left to be done in our own hearts. And so, Lord, we come to you in confession and repentance and faith seeking to be like Bartimaeus, knowing that we can't do it in our own efforts, knowing that we, knew we need your spirit, knowing that we need to, to see your face through your word every day, to behold your glory, to be changed, and to follow faithfully. Would you move our hearts and move our feet today as we read this, drive this home. Thank you for this lesson. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.